So as Michelle said, we're looking at different lectionary texts. Our gospel lectionary text this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. It's the parable of the sower and the parable of the sower explained. Please listen to these words. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd, crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on a path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. If you have ears, hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet such a person has no root but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this age and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our text speaks to us about failure and about success. When we all know something, I think, about failure and about success, and whether we fear failure or fear success even more, we have learned to live with them because they have become constant companions for us along life's journey. Now, back when I was a bit younger, in my prime, or at least in my late 30s, I'm not sure I had a prime, um, but in my, late, in my late 30s, our church in the Central Valley would go into the Sierras and uh, to a camp there, a Presbyterian camp, and we would have our either a weekend camp or summer camp in that experience. And one of the things that we always loved was this flume, a flume that went 90 feet, and you would, you would go down, and then you would uh, traject off of it and see who could get the farthest, the furthest out over the water. And so I was competing with everybody else uh, doing this, and the truth is, uh, I failed. That is, I didn't win. A junior high girl won. Um, what I got from that was uh, a sore tailbone, and I sat on a, a silicone donut for about a year. Uh, taking with me to Presbytery or wherever I went, there it was with my donut. Uh, 
So that was a bit of a failure. Um, although I have had some successes along the way as well. Uh, when I was a senior at Fuller Seminary, I was in a preaching class, and one of the things that we did in the preaching class was to uh, have a contest on who preached the best, I guess. And so five of us made it into the finals. And so we were in chapel, and we all gave a short uh, uh, sermon. And at the end of the sermon, they decided, you know, we don't really want to make people compete against each other in preaching. And so we'll just say they all won. And so all five of us won. The prize that year was $25, <laughs> which was sp split five ways. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, a, f <laughs> a few years later, I, after I was a youth minister, and uh, one, of the, one of the kids in the youth group had grown up, he went on to college, <clears throat> excuse me, and he then went to seminary. And he also was in the preaching contest when he was there. I think he was in his second year. And he actually won that year. Uh, they decided, let's just uh, make sure that one person gets the prize. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, the prize that year was a scholarship to St. Andrews uh, in Scotland for a year of studying preaching. <laughs> so things had changed a little bit. Uh, I, I don't think it was the economy. I think something else must have happened. Maybe the preaching just got that much better. What I realize also when we talk about these kind of things is that our successes and our failures are significantly more important and more life-changing than those experiences. More serious in the sense that both successes and failures kind of roam the range of our relationships, of our business dealings, of our educational and teaching endeavors, our purchases, our moral choices, and on and on it goes. But in whatever arena our successes and failures take place, we are left with either the blessings or the scars that those created. <clears throat> So when we come back to our text, does this parable with its three unproductive soils, does it really suggest that perhaps Jesus' message fails three-fourths of the time? Or does the success or the productiveness of the good soil, which we see threefold uh, manner in terms of 100, 60, and 30, uh, does that really take primacy of place in terms of the interpretation of this particular parable? And so what I want to do is I want to look with you at this parable uh, in three different ways. One, historically, two, Christologically, and three, personally. And see how this parable in its own success and failure seems to say something to us and to the broader church and to the broader world as we understand what God is doing uh, through this parable, through the teaching that this parable uh, indicates. Think of Israel um, in the context of Jesus' ministry. This is the historical interpretation. The immediate sense is that of failure. For Jesus and for the disciples, uh, they can be seen, uh, or this can be seen in Israel's lack of positive response. Um, were they unproductive soils? Was Israel at that point uh, 
part of what was being told by Jesus in this parable as what is unproductive. But Jesus, the disciples, the teaching um, were not well received. The relig religious establishment rejected Jesus. The political machine accosted him and eventually killed him. The crowds were un. Uh, predictably fickle about Jesus. Even the disciples didn't really get him. Was the gospel not good enough? Not radical enough? Not political enough? And after all, the Messiah was supposed to be this political ruler who would come in, who would get rid of the uh, present rule, uh, the government rule, in this case Rome, would give Israel some dominance over their um, other people, other nations around. And that wasn't happening. And so this, this first interpretation, the historical interpretation, it seems to me, has a bit of what we call a theodicy to it. Jesus is explaining this parable uh, by way of explaining uh, God in the face of evil, in the face of failure. Here, here, Jesus is here as God's anointed, as the Messiah, and all of a sudden, nothing is happening good. Uh, not nothing, but very little. And so many people are rejecting Jesus. And so this is a, a bit of a theodicy that tries to explain the powerlessness or the seeming powerlessness of Jesus. But what, is it, what it explains is not so much the powerlessness of Jesus, but the unresponsiveness of the soil. Listen to N.T. Wright's uh, comment on this particular text. He says, The parable tells the long and puzzling story of Israel. And says cryptically, but plainly for those with ears to hear, that now at last the story is reaching its goal. Okay, so this, so well, let me just pause there. What N.T. Wright is saying is that this parable is really talking about the history of Israel. It's talking about something that, uh, that uh, trans transcends uh, the, the centuries in that, in that case. Jesus, as himself, first and foremost a prophet, was to suffer the fate of the prophets. He was the prophetic agent through whom the, the recreative word of Yahweh was being sown. He would sow that seed on the path, on the rock, and among the thorns, and himself be rejected. So this particular parable, in its original historic meaning of Jesus in facing the opposition, if you will, sounds like failure because his own people rejected him so often. We see that in the prologue of the Gospel of John as well. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. How could he be the hope of Israel? How could Jesus be the bringer of the new eschatological age if his own community refused to follow? Do we think that Jesus is a failed Messiah? John the Baptist wondered, right? He, he had to send some of his disciples and ask the question, are you the one or should we wait and look for another? And what do we think? Now, on the other hand, what we do see in the parable is that God is the God who persistently seeks us out. 
In other words, if there is this failure of, of responsiveness to God over the course of the history of Israel, what we see is that God has not ever finally let them go. God continues to seek them, send new prophets, send new uh, word uh, of God to them so that they will understand the goodness and the grace of God. So one of the positive things, even in that failure, is that God is the God who persistently seeks Israel out. And I think the church out and you out and me out. So that's the historical interpretation. The Christological interpretation has a, a bit of a different meaning. In the Christological interpretation, God is the sower as opposed to Jesus and sowing the word. Here, God is the sower and sows the seed. The seed is Jesus. In this interpretation, the seed is Jesus. Uh, the seed here, th this comes out of Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 6, where you see that uh, the end of a destruction that's taking place or that's going to take place is that the holy, the holy stump is the seed. The holy stump is the seed. And what N.T. Wright suggests and others is that Jesus is that holy seed. That Jesus, in fact, is that holy seed. So that if the first parable actually bent towards failure of Jesus, this, this part of the parable or this interpretation of the parable moves in the direction of success. Here we have Jesus who is the Messiah of Israel, but who is also the Messiah of all people, uh, the anointed one. Here we have Jesus who is now bringing people out of exile. In fact, the understanding here is that Israel is still in exile. Uh, the Babylonian exile is over, but Israel is still in exile. All people are in exile. And what Jesus is doing is bringing the people out of exile through a new exodus to the new kingdom of God that is being established in Jesus Christ. So you have this movement then of, we could call success, of fruitfulness in the good seed, in the good soil. In this interpretation, we're all in exile, and we all need a new exodus. So here we have abundance. Notice the abundance. By the way, 10%, uh, a tenfold uh, percentage in the crops would be a good harvest. Here we have 30, 60, and 100. Uh, this is abundance. God is showing God's abundance and abundant grace um, to the people that Jesus is speaking to. So the covenant promises, the focus is on the success, that is the one seed that has found good ground, good soil. The focus of the parable is there in this particular interpretation. And the others fade in the background, especially when you have such an abundance of success in the crops that are being planted. And so you have, in a sense, hope, a new hope for freedom, a new hope for and joy for fruitfulness, uh, a freedom from anxiety, a new community of life. You have abundance of food and drink and shelter and mercy and peace and grace, all of that for both Jews and Gentiles, for everyone, if and only if they have ears to hear. And so this pushes the question, are we listening? Are we understanding what the parable is about in its historical, that is, God will keep looking for us, and its Christological, that is, in Jesus Christ, this new thing is happening, and the exile that we need to be freed from, the bondage we need to be freed from, is what Jesus has come to free us from.
Jesus called his disciples to go out earlier in Matthew's gospel, and they went out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here we have more than that. Here we have Jesus' work going to all the world, a new kind of hope. The, the, the sick are being healed. The, the hungry are being fed. The comforted or the bereaved are being comforted. Jesus made promises of a better life, a life closer to God, a life of meaning and hope and compassion. And people are brought out of exile into this new exodus and through the exodus to the kingdom of God. Listen again to N.T. Wright as he comments on this. The sower is Yahweh himself. So think of God as the sower. And that his desire is to establish his kingdom. The other plantings will bear no fruit, but there will be one that will yield a large and satisfying crop. Jesus then, in telling this story, indicates that his own work is at one and the same time the climax and the recapitulation of the story of Israel. It's not that God has let Israel go, it's not that God has turned God's back on Israel. No, in Jesus Christ, all of those hopes and dreams and promises are being fulfilled. In this one, we see God as the God who provides new opportunities. For Israel, new opportunities along the way. For us, new opportunities to live as God would have us live, out of exile, through the exodus, into the new kingdom of God. And then we look at this in the more traditional way of uh, a personal interpretation. And the question that the personal interpretation asks is, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil are you? Are you the footpath? The footpath, for my money, is the, is the saddest one. Because what you have here, the soil itself is good. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with the soil that has now become footpath. But the footpath has been walked on and trampled on so much in life that it is no longer receptive. The seed comes, sits there, and the birds come, the evil one, and takes the seed away. It doesn't even have the opportunity to germinate in that soil. Maybe we're the rocky soil. I would call the rocky soil, they're temporary. I would call these the happy Christians. These are the ones who are really uh, joyful at all the blessings and all the goodness that God is going to bring about. But as soon as difficulties, because they have now embraced this faith, difficulties surface, they let it go. The difficulties could be any number of things. Uh, but they let it go because it's too bad. If there's a tragedy, why didn't God do something? If there is um, a, an illness, why doesn't God heal? God, if God has all the power, why not? And so it doesn't make sense to them. The third one is good soil. It will produce, but what it's producing are thorns. And the thorns choke out the good seed so that although it grows for a while, it doesn't continue to grow because it's choked out by the thorns. And the thorns here are the anxieties of the world and also, uh, or it could be the, the anxieties of the world that is uh, the deceitfulness of wealth. Or it could be that those are two different um, commodities. 
And then you have the good soil. The good soil is now going to be fruitful and bear 30 or uh, Matthew, Mark has it 30, 60, 100. Matthew has it 100, uh, 60, 30. But it's very fruitful. But it doesn't tell us what the fruit is. What is the fruitfulness of a person's life that has committed themselves to following Jesus? I think if we look at the negative of, uh, the, or if we look at the other side of the negatives, we see something of the fruitfulness. So it will look like responsiveness as opposed to resistance. Just an openness to say, okay, what is God doing? What, what can I learn? What is this all about? It will look like commitment as opposed to shallowness. It won't be uh, rocked by the difficulties. So like Job, uh, Job defends God even though his life has become horrific. He, he tries to defend himself, but he, but he also d doesn't blame God. Or the, the three, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, they tell Pharaoh, you know, you can throw us in there. We're not going to worship you. Even if our God doesn't save us, we're not going to worship your gods or you. And then uh, Ruth. Ruth, who has just lost her husband, her husband's brother, her husband's father, she says to Naomi, your God is going to be my God, and I am going with you to your land. That's... That's something of the fruitfulness of the seed that continues to grow um, in uh, the field that, uh, that has been planted. And then we can look also at the, um, the final one, the good soil. The good soil, I think, is, or the anxieties of the, of the previous one, the anxieties. You know, we have a lot of anxieties and we have a lot of issues that need to be resolved in our world. And whether we are looking at the anxieties of racial injustice, of climate crisis, of gun violence, of uh, hunger, unhoused, on and on and on, those often preoccupy us to the point of not being able to reflect theologically on, okay, how can we address this from the point of view of Scripture and our understanding of God? So here we have it. The good soil produces good fruit, receptiveness, commitment, um, not filled with anxiety as one lives their life. What we learn from this is that there are different ways to interpret this parable. If you look at this historically, one of the things we see is that God persistently sought out Israel and persistently seeks us out. If you look at this Christologically, we're reminded that God provides in Jesus the completion of God's work in uh, Israel, not that he's done, God is done with Israel, but to that point, the completion in Jesus Christ and that in so doing, we are all presented with opportunities to leave exile, to go through the new exodus, and to enter into um, the promised community uh, that God is leading uh, us into through Christ. And if we look at it personally, which is the more traditional way to look at this, what we see is that we have to ask the question, what kind of soil am I?
Am I soil that will produce a crop? Am I soil that has been so damaged that I can't? And the goal is to become that productive kind of soil. This isn't locking us into one soil or another. It's saying if we have ears to hear and understand, we can be that kind of soil that produces abundant fruitfulness. It's God who is the planter. It's God who has the good seed. And the question is, what kind of soil are we? The parable says, let those who have ears to hear listen and so live in the abundance of the blessing of God. Let's pray. God, we want to be good soil. We know that in ourselves we can't necessarily produce all the fruitfulness, but that you have promised to plant good seed in this soil. Enable us to move in that direction, to open our hearts, to open our lives, our wills, our commitments, so that the fruit of our life might be the good soil of the kingdom that brings all people into a knowledge of your love and grace and mercy. Guide us in this process, we pray, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.